You came out swinging with names, homie. <laughs> like, let's start at the beginning. Oh, I used to watch the I used to watch music videos, MTV Beach, but I hung out with Louis Farrakhan and Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Welcome back to Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know with the stories you want to hear. Today, I am joined by my fellow American expat living in Sweden, superstar sis. She's an international artist and a leader in the whacking and punking and ballroom scene. She is, I say, the purveyor of the history of whacking and punking, trying to make sure the next generations know exactly where it came from and what exactly it is. Uh, she has been a leader in the ballroom scene in Sweden and in Gothenburg, bringing Gothenburg their first ball in 2012, and then followed that up with the decadence, the, the decadence ball in 2018, Stranger, Stranger. She's a former member of the Elite House Ninja. So we just want to get right into it. Give it up for my sis, Miss Alyssa Chloe in the house. What's up, boo? Hello, hello. Hello, Glad hello. to be on, finally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, I've been listening and I was like, well, maybe he just wants commercial dancers from L.A. I don't no. know. But it's all good. I'm no, I, to- I told you this when here. I first started. I wanted to get you on. But then it was I was just here, there and everywhere. But, you know. Good things come to those who wait, and not just me, the audience. Now they get to find out who you are. They get to recognize all everything that you was about that you's doing is is about to do's is up in here. Thank so, you. Oh, huh? you're so no, thank you. It's thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. We've both been a little busy at the What do you want to talk about? Um, well, let's give people a little background of who you are. So you're originally from Chicago, from South Side? Originally from Chicago, uh, on the South Side, yep. Um yeah, I grew up, um, If you, for those who live in Chicago, like I grew up in a neighborhood called High Park, which is the same neighborhood that now I think currently the Obamas live. But before I didn't know they were, you know, obviously I didn't know they were living there, but it's a very uh, prominent neighborhood on the South side of Chicago. A lot of people from all over the world, very multicultural. Mm-hmm. People from the University of Chicago, you know, it's a lot going on. A lot of famous people lived in my neighborhood, like Muhammad Ali and Louis Farrakhan, oh, and just a lot of different people. All yeah, yeah. I actually got to go to um, Louis Farrakhan's house when I was like eleven or twelve, and I got to meet him. And we'll get to that later. And Muhammad Ali, you know, he lived in my neighborhood. Like it was, it was like a weird mix of like artists because it was very bohemian. But then you had the students from like all over the world because they went to the University of Chicago. And then we had like all the tourists because I lived by the Museum of Science and Industry, like two blocks. And then like we had like famous people, like super famous people. And then like I grew up like my grandmother's house was in the south side of Chicago, which is like a neighborhood called South Shore, Mm -hmm. which is the same neighborhood that Michelle Obama grew up. She grew up two blocks away from my grandmother. So I was like, it's like a weird mix yeah I, so so you grew up superstar and already from a kid uh, no i mean i grew <laughs> up just surrounded by a lot of great artists and a lot of nice. interesting people and my mother she was a musician so she was like you know playing for a lot of different politicians because chicago's more of a political town than like mm-hmm. a famous town like hollywood or new york mm-hmm. so it was a lot of politicians and 
like, you know, I got to meet, yeah, I got to meet a lot of really famous people, like activists in the world. Um, Did... So it wasn't, I wasn't really surrounded by artists, but not really famous artists. I was surrounded by politicians. Okay. Did, how can I, so do you, do you feel that growing up around this political environment influenced your work sort of that you're doing now as an ambassador for LGBTQ or that that just came out of development of who you are and like, it's a long story, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's okay. So, <laughs> that's what we're talking. <laughs> no, it's a little bit more layered than that. I didn't intentionally set out to do that. No, <laughs> right. I know that. <laughs> that's a Like when I grow up, I'm going to do this. No, no, I but I meant. <laughs> but what? I, <laughs> but I will say that my my mother had a lot of artist friends. Mm-hmm. who were queer, black and queer. My godfather is black and queer as well. And mm-hmm. so I did grow up around a lot of them. Unfortunately, most of them, if not all, passed away to complications to AIDS. So I watched mm-hmm. that that whole era of, you know, when AIDS was just really just wiping out the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up surrounded by a lot of different artists and some of them identified as queer. Obviously, when I started dancing, there was a lot of queer people there, too, obviously. So, I mean, it was just I've always been I grew up around, you know, that particular group of people. And Mm. it was normalized. It wasn't like anything unusual Mm -hmm. or big deal for me. So um, I've always yeah, I've always been around and I've always had that connection to them. My birthday is on like the first day of Pride. I think it's on the anniversary of Stonewall, my birthday. Oh, which is interesting. Written in yeah. the stars. So, written in the stars. In the stars. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I was just always, for me, when I was growing up, I really didn't, I was just really into dance. I started dancing when I was seven. I, you know, was really like into like the videos because we grew up in that era mm-hmm. where, you know, all those hot like music videos dance videos were out so i was really just into like learning and absorbing all of that and my mother was a musician and she was really like she really wanted me to learn art she wanted me to become an or learn as much as i could about art mm-hmm. to get off the streets of chicago because it's just one of the most it was one of the most dangerous cities in america it still is and one of the most racist so it was very important for her to make sure that I got my education in art, music. I was growing up around multicultural people from all walks of life, all different identities, races, you name it. It was important for her that I meet prominent people. Yeah, it was it was very much her goal because she really did not want me to, to lose me to the streets. Mm. And she was a single mother too. So it was like an extra push for me to really like that. And I'm the only child and the only grandchild. At least I was raised an only child and the mm. only grandchild. So like extra right. protection. Yeah. So what type of dance did you grow up doing? Um, well, in the beginning, it was just normal. Whatever dances were hot. Right. You know, you go to the parties. <laughs> you know, you go to the parties. Yeah, you go to like the, the, the you know, the block parties or whatever and the social gatherings. And you're doing like the latest moves from whatever video you saw yesterday mm-hmm. or over the weekend. 
and you copy and you do it, you know? Like when we were growing up, it was like every, it feels like like every three months there was a new dance. Oh yeah. And you had to learn. Shit, and I would say every three weeks. It, <laughs> and it, like, cause then you had the summer break. So you had to come back to the fall break like to the fall term, like knowing all these new steps and knowing all these dances or else you were whack. Yeah. So, you know, you had to learn and absorb as much as you could. You had to go out, you had to listen to everything and be on top of it. So that's where my education started. Mm. And then my mother put me in, in classes when I was like seven, because she was a dancer when she was young mm-hmm. and she trained and then she chose music. So she was like, okay, well, if you're going to dance, I mean, you need to take real classes. You can't just, <laughs> just you, you can't just, just be doing a street hustle a little street one two step <laughs> and so i started dancing at 88 i took my first jazz class which mm-hmm. was um really i remember because they were using new edition uh when they first came out with the heartbreak record what wait what no, kind of jazz that, class was you taking that they was playing new edition i made a choice in school because it was like after school Mm-hmm. So my mother said, what do you want to do? Do you want to either learn French or do you want to dance? And I chose dance. And it was that era. So like it was just this really young, cool jazz teacher teaching after school and she was using new edition. So the, I was just remember doing like trying to learn Potty Berets, the new edition. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. I like it, though. I, then, I, I, I like the layering of it. And then I elevated to like a, fr- a bunch of friends of mine were like, you should take this um, this other jazz class because it was free. And the teacher, he was actually a student and a dancer for Catherine Dunham, oh. a great Catherine Dunham. Wow. So they were like, yeah, you should go and you need to train with him because he's a serious, like no joke, like jazz teacher. And he was like, he did not baby any of us, <laughs> even though we were kids. It was really harsh. Like, I don't think the millennials would, be <laughs> <laughs> feelings get hurt yeah. <laughs> he would get canceled a long time ago for some of the stuff that he did but he was um he was a very he gave me my serious like education in jazz and my mm-hmm. foundation in jazz so mm-hmm. that was the beginning for me when i was yeah 88 89 that whole era and for me it was cool because it was just me learning learning the technique and everything mm-hmm. was just a way for me to understand what was going on in the videos now i can pick up this choreography now i can learn the chanted video uh-huh. now i can catch paula now i can figure out why paula is doing all this stuff in her you know cold-hearted cold-hearted video and i can do the turns you know that's how i thought as a kid <laughs> i love it let me let me back up for a quick second uh mom was a musician uh what did she play she played the harp she was one of three black harpists what? In Chicago. That yeah. is dope. Yeah, her her mentor was Dorothy Ashby, who was the harpist on Stevie Wonder's um If It's Magic. That was her mentor. Wow. So she was in Chicago. And it yep. was yeah, that was unusual because everyone associates that instrument with European culture, but it's actually from African culture. So she was like somebody who was like educating people and saying, No, this is actually a an instrument from Africa, and you know this really belongs to us. And she was one of the three artists in Chicago who represented that. Legendary. So because, because of that, I, I got to meet a lot of great people. Like you know, like I said before, 
I got to meet Louis Farrakhan in his house because mm. he was our neighbor. But he actually invited her to his house because he wanted to entertain the first lady, Lady of Ghana. She, you know, so he wanted to. He was a violinist. Wow, a really amazing violinist, by the way. So, and he wanted to do meditation from Thais. That was the piece, and it was originally done with a harp. So he remembered her from some gigs that he, she had done. And so they came together and they rehearsed it. So I got to go to the rehearsal to his house. It was called the palace. And like, literally you walk in, it's like all these marble floors. You have to, you know, wear socks and they have the nation of Islam symbol, like right in the center. And he came out and he's nothing like his persona, by the way, he's like really passionate. Like when he speaks, mm -hmm. he's like super charming, very soft-spoken, very calm. He's like asking me, are you a music lover too? Do you play music? I'm like, nope, I play the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that, Mr. Bear. But he was like, but you're a music lover. I was like, yes. He was super nice, super humble. So I got to see... I got to meet him in that way, which is really strange. Hmm. And then like the same year, I got to meet Nelson Mandela after he became president of South Africa. Because he came to Chicago for like, they had a reception for him and they only invited 20 people for the private reception and my mother got the cake. So I was one of 20 people in that room who got to meet the great Nelson Mandela. And he was so, so, so humble and so like, Kind, like you wouldn't even believe he's a president. Amazing. You know, so you, I, came, you came out swinging with names, homie. <laughs> like, let's start at the beginning. Oh, I used to watch the. I used to watch music videos, MTV, Beach, but I hung out with Louis Farrakhan and Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Okay, I also used to watch PBS on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. I loved all that too. You know, like I had a very interesting. No, weird it's dope. I'm just messing with you because I can, but that shit is super dope, y'all. I like that's a that's an influence. Whether or not it's political, like that's an influential childhood. Being able, like number one, having your mom being so legendary without like putting a legendary label on it at that, like for you at that time, but just being around that and knowing that for me now, knowing that your mom had this, like she was one of three, she was, she was holding it down. Like you said, she was spreading the knowledge. Like, just so you know, I'm reclaiming this shit from what y'all think mm -hmm. it is. I'm gonna let y'all know. And by the way, this is my daughter. She's going to be up in here too. You better, better learn her name. <laughs> but there was pressure. A lot of people put pressure. They were like, well, why don't you play an instrument? Why mm. don't you do that? And I was like, that's not my, that's not my thing. Mm -hmm. My thing was dance. That was my heart. That was my passion. And some people really gave me a hard time. They're like, no, you need to continue this. I'm like, no, this is not my talent. This is yeah. what I'm here to do. And my mother was cool with that. Yeah. You know, she was just like happy that I had something to really like, be passionate about really. So right. she was, as long as at school and my grades were cool, she didn't care. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of pressure from the outside world going, wow, this is such a beautiful instrument. She's so amazing. She's so gorgeous. Why are you not doing it? And I was like, cause I like the radio. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Point slipped. Point done. <laughs> 
And not to mention, I'm my own fucking person. I'm not, I'm my mother's daughter, but I'm not my mother. I'm Alyssa. Like, let me be me. I understand the, I understand what you're trying to say, but at the same time, allow me to be a kid and do what I want to do. And, and, and yeah. Especially, especially in the black community, because a lot because in the black community, there's a lot of pressure to live up to a family. If a family's if a family's quote unquote doing something, it's like, oh, you're going to do, little Lisa going to come up now. It's your turn, baby girl. You ready? You ready to you ready to carry the torch? But here's the funny part. My family, I come from a family of doctors and nurses and Ph.D. people. So mm-hmm. they were actually worried. They I, we were the black sheep in the family. So there was like this pressure from the outside world to continue my mom's legacy. And then there was the pressure from that side of the family to not do it at all. And that really, really made made it very complicated for me, especially Mm -hmm. being an only child, because, you know, I'm the only one. So there's extra pressure and Mm -hmm. there's an extra focus to like do whatever the family wants you to do. And I was always the one that said, fuck that. Can I curse? Yes. Is it okay? Yes, of course. I was like, have you met me? (laughs) (laughs) But, but, okay. I was like, well, fuck that. I have to do me. I mean, the pressure got to me so much that I really just rebelled against everyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but anyway, so I digress. No, no. These are the, these are the stories people need to hear. These people want to hear, you know what I'm saying? It's my tagline. You gotta, gotta let them know. So did you continue with the jazz classes? Absolutely. I, I, I from when I was about to eight um, until about maybe 14 mm-hmm. on and off, I kept doing jazz classes because my teacher, unfortunately, he passed away. Oh, no. So I had to find a new teacher. But I ended up getting on scholarship at a school called Joseph Holmes Dance Theater, which is the Alvin Ailey of Chicago. Dope. Congratulations. So I ended up getting a scholarship there and I started training in Graham and Horton and ballet and, you know, just getting my knowledge in in that arena as well. And I got pretty good because they wanted me to go to the more events. They wanted me to join the the company. Mm -hmm. But it really, the thing is, like, I love Graham and I love Horton and and I respect it now, but it's just my heart was always with jazz. Mm-hmm. because it's, I just connected with it. Like, you know, of course, I love the videos. Bob Fosse was one of my favorite choreographers. Mm-hmm. You know, I just love the feeling of jazz more and more popular styles, I guess. So I was a little bit like, eh, I don't know if I want to go in that direction, but I still kept going and training. And then eventually, like, I, I would do, like, like, dancing, like, in the summer. Like, in the, you know, I would get paid for it to train. Mm-hmm. But it was like kind of my professional gig because you had to like train every day, ballet, modern jazz. And then you have like flamenco, then you have Afro-Cuban dance. And then you have like all these different styles that you had to learn over the summer. Then you perform. So I did that for a while. So I was doing a lot of just grabbing a lot of different styles when I was a teenager from some pretty prominent teachers as well. And that lasted until I was about maybe 20 yeah i think 20 that's when i started to shift into and decide where i wanted to go dance wise and what was that shift um well i met um i was i went to a party at grand park it's now well now it's called millennial park 
and it was like they have like different styles and different dances that are featured like in the park like you know sometimes they have salsa sometimes they have you know just all kinds of music mm-hmm. and there was this white girl teaching house on the stage and now to be clear when i say house dancing chicago the way we do house dancing is nothing like how the world does it it's nothing mm-hmm. like new york or what the world knows so it's mm-hmm. a very different vibe but still even within that context it's a white girl teaching house so it wasn't so i saw this street dancer coming and she she was getting busy at this party she was just getting busy and her name was boogie mclaren and i was like do you at this point hip-hop had made it into the studios mm-hmm. so she's like i was like teach anywhere where you know where can i find you and she's like yeah i teach at these schools on the north side so that's where i started getting into more hip-hop and then i connected with um this woman named viola who was the leader of culture shock in chicago mm-hmm. she was teaching at a school called joel hall which i was also on scholarship and it was funny because at that time you know you had the commercial hip-hop class that everybody went to like all the jazz dancers went to and then you had her class which is kind of empty because it was street and it was pure and they couldn't do it but hmm. i was always in it i was killing it i loved it i was like yes this is where I'm at. So that was really the first time I started getting educated in hip hop. That's the first time I heard about, you know, Don Campbell and, you know, the people who started, who created these styles and all the different names, you know, that happened when I was about 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And then I knew, I was like, I want to go to New York. I didn't want to go to LA. I knew LA was where you get work, mm-hmm. but I went to go to New York to connect more with the culture. Um, so that's, sort of where that shift happened okay did you how so you started getting this knowledge at 20 what how long after did you move to new york two years um because there was just a lot of circumstances really like heavy circumstances that forced me to make a decision it was almost Mm -hmm. like the universe kind of cleared certain parts of my life and cleared certain people out of my life. I was getting a lot of resistance from my family, my mother. It was just a lot going on. And I was at a crossroads. And I remember my best friend at the time saying to me, you know, you don't want to be like 30 years old and you don't want to like look in the mirror and say, I just wonder what it would have been like if I went to New York. Yep. You don't want to regret it. Mm -hmm. And you know, as a dancer, you got to do it when you're young. You can't wait 10 years to finally do like, you know, I'm not saying people start late now and it's all good, but you got to get that knowledge when you're young. Yeah. Because it's in your body and you just got to go for it. So I, when that crossroads came, the universe literally pushed me out the door and said, no, go, go. And I didn't know anybody. I didn't know one single person in New York. Wow. I met like a famous dancer maybe a year before who lived in Jersey, mm-hmm. a very famous tap dancer. Who I, that was the only one I knew who I connected with. But beyond that, I knew no one. And so I just went because I had nothing to lose. I mm-hmm. had lost everything at that point. I had no home. I had no, you know, family structure or anything. Everything just kind of was just wiped away from me in one go. And then I just went. Just And I was like, well, here we go. Let's see what happens. And my grandmother, I remember she took out insurance on my life. Because she figures, she's like, you're not going to survive. So we're going to take out insurance on your life just to make sure. What? 
Yeah. 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 Damn. That's, that's a statement. Yeah. So I said, okay, you do what you want to do. But I'm, I think I'm going to be okay. And you went and never looked back. Nope. Nope. I was right. It was, it was probably the first major adult decision I made in my life. And it was definitely delayed because for most people at 18, you're seen as an adult, mm-hmm. but at 18, I was still being under control of my family. So that was the first time I made a very clear independent decision to break away from everyone and do me. And, you know, the rest is history. Dope. Now I'm not encouraging you to do what I did. That's not, that's not why <laughs> I'm not saying you should just take that risk. Cause some people are like, should I do it? I'm like, I can't really answer that. But I just know that there were circumstances going on in my life that forced me to make a decision to do what I needed to do. So uh, it's um, I'm glad you said that because, you know, a lot of people are always like, so what's, your, what's it like here? What's it like there? And I'm like, you know, I can tell you from my experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean that do what I did or listen to what I say that I like it or I don't like it. You have to live your life and understand, like I can give you examples of things, but I can only speak for myself about what works and what doesn't work. You might have a completely different experience going somewhere like a lot of people like oh how could you move from la and i'm like listen i didn't like la that's because of me and what i grew up like and what i needed out of my life but you might go and enjoy it and live there and become an la person i you know but or if you travel Mm -hmm. people like so like how was tokyo i remember one time a buddy of mine was uh doing a trip to bali or something and he had a 24-hour layover in tokyo i was like He's like, oh, can you tell me what to do? I was like, oh yeah, dude, go. If you have 24 hours, you can go into the, you can go into the city. You can walk around Shinjuku, Shibuya Station. Like, just walk around. Everything's lovely. It's a great experience. And then I, I followed up with him after. I was like, how was he? He's like, it was the worst thing ever. Like, I didn't know, I didn't know where to go. I was, did you talk to anybody? No. How could I? They speak Japanese. Did you attempt to though? Like. No, I was just, it was, it was just horrible. And I was like, see, see, for me, I enjoyed that because when I asked Japanese people to help me find something as I was lost, because everything's in Japanese, there's no like alphabet yeah. there. They, they brought me where I needed to go. Like whatever, like they were friendly enough to, we could communicate. I could show them a piece of paper or I could gesture like food or something and they would lead me on the way. But for me, I enjoy that. But for other people, that's an anxiety driven experience where they just feel stressed out. So do what you need to do for yourself. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. You never know until you just go. And like, I took a bus literally from, I was staying in Nashville where my grandmother was. I took mm-hmm. a bus from Nashville and landed in the middle of New York City in Times Square. And I knew no one, And but I felt super safe because it was a bigger city. It was a lot of people from all over the world. It was multicultural. And remind mm-hmm. you, I grew up in a neighborhood like this. Mm-hmm. New York City looked exactly like the neighborhood I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So I felt at home. It was just a much bigger, it's a different type of hustle. And it was a lot you know, to learn and catch on to. But it was like, okay, well, I mean, I'm young. I have nothing to you. It's an adventure. It's an experience. What, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Right. That's the thing. And whatever happens, yeah. you adjust. Yeah. And I was, and, and I ended up connecting with the underground. I was that, the people that I ended up meeting 
and connecting with from just making that simple shift and decision was just mind-blowing. It changed my whole trajectory. So let's talk about how do you how do you how do you meet these people in the underground? Because that's pretty much how not how, but from moving to New York mm-hmm. and forward, this is where we're going to talk about with being voguing and whacking and well, whacking is LA, but with voguing and being in the ballroom community and stuff. Right. But how did you what was not knowing anybody? Did was was it like going out to clubs, going out to bars, like hitting the spots? The uh, well, I, I one day I went to um well I was actually <laughs> for six months it was it was really a struggle, I'm not gonna lie. And mm. it was so it was just for six months like hustling and trying to find a place to like live and survive. But then one day I just randomly walked into Broadway Dance Center and this guy is sitting on top of the bench and he sees me and he hands me a flyer for this event called the house dance conference. And he's like, you should go. I was like, Oh, I'm from Chicago. I love house. This is great. Cool. And that's, and then afterwards I was watching one of the classes and he came over and we started talking and sparks flew and, you know, we got together. He was that he was the one that brought me into the scene. His name was Specs, very famous Specs street dancer. And so he was the one that sort of took me into his world. And he said, no, you need to, you know, because he was the promoter mm-hmm. and he, he was one of the owners of the party. So he, of course, I, he introduced me to everybody who the stretch, I think was first. Brian Green eventually, but he was always traveling. I met all the dancers in one go. Like he knew every single, we will walk down the street. He knew like almost every other person on the street. <laughs> And I was like, why do you know these people? Because so <laughs> I'm like, why do you know these people? Like everywhere he went, every party he went, everybody knew him. So, and he always had me to come. He was always dragging me out to these places. So that's how I connected with everyone in the scene. Dope. Um, and then about six months after we got together, Brian Green decided because he was the leader of the house dance conference. That was his event. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the middle of connecting with Anna Sanchez mm-hmm. to come at that time. He had been starting to teach whacking again. I didn't know what whacking was by the way. So I met him and the first thing I met him, he started talking about Broadway dance center, just gave me the green light to teach a whacking class because he wanted to bring attention to it. Cause people were calling it thrashing like the street, like the commercial dancers. So, his goal was to educate people, to let them know this is a style from L.A. Mm-hmm. This is a club dance or this is a street dance from L.A. It's not this commercial dance that people are trying to remarket. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I think around that time, that's when he reconnected or connected with Anna Sanchez, Lollipop. Mm-hmm. And so six months later, about October, like, no, I met not even. It was sooner. That's when I met Anna Sanchez at the House Dance Conference. So I met Specs in the July, in July, June, July. I met Anna in October. So like right away, and I didn't even know who she was. I didn't know what she was about. <laughs> I didn't know any of these dancers were famous. I did not know who the stretch, for example, choreographed the Remember the Time video, which yeah. I learned when I was a kid. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know about his crew. I just ended up in the middle of the scene watching all these phenomenal dancers who were famous and who pretty much were a part of the vi- or all the videos that I grew up loving and being inspired by. So it was just strange. 
So it was a year of me just being around. And I remember like she kept coming back to New York and we danced together in a club. Like when we had a really good connection. Cause at that point, I think the first time I saw her dancing was in October. And then I started taking his classes in November, Brian's classes. Mm-hmm. And then we connected again. And then afterwards she opened her hand out to me. She said, you know, anything you want to know, like we need to get together and I, I, I will teach you anything and everything you want to know about this dance. Wow. I'll do it for free. What? Do it for free. And she was like, I'll even teach. I don't care. I'll do it for free. What? But you need to come to me. You need to come to me and you need to just show the interest. And I will teach you anything and everything you want to know. And she lived up to that. She lived up to that. And then around the same time, that's I met Archie on the dance floor. Like literally I went to a party with Brian and like after one of his classes and I met Archie on the floor and I already knew Archie cause I see, so I saw some videos of him. So I went to a party and I was just watching him and he, you know, he, he, he parties everywhere he goes. He doesn't care. <laughs> so he was just doing his thing. And it's just, this, it's a house party with all the OGs, all the garage heads, all the loft heads, lady bunny, everybody's there just having a good time. And then all of a sudden he came at me and then I started dancing and he was blown away. And he was like, Oh, I wasn't, exp- <laughs> Oh, I didn't expect that. You know, he didn't know. So that's how me and Archie connected. We connected on the floor. So we would always see each other in the parties and we would always dance together. And that's how the older generation got to know me. Cause they were, they were looking at me like, who's this girl that Archie's dancing with? Like, <laughs> they're like, but that's how I got to know them. Yeah. Dude, I'm, just, I'm, like, I'm just going on and on. No, but this, this is that's why I'm. Not, I don't have anything to say. I'm, I'm, I'm floored at this and myself. <laughs> at the same time, I was meeting the future young legends. So this is when I'm meeting people like you know, like Danielle at the time when I met her. She was 17 and she wasn't voguing yet. She mm-hmm. was just just beginning to vogue. Um, I this is when I'm meeting Firelock, aka Omar. Yeah, and he just just beginning to learn how to lock or getting into locking because he was a b-boy originally so i'm meeting all the young legends at the same time i'm meeting all the older legends and i'm just sort of in between all of this like taking if the stars if 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 the stars in alignment was a was a person it would be (laughs) you (laughs) and then wait to add (laughs) to the story i met tyrone at at broadway dance dinner Tyrone Proctor, Proctor. the late Tyrone Proctor. And um, at the time he wasn't teaching, but I think, you know, Brian just kind of called him and called him and said, you should come down and let's have a chat because I'm teaching whacking again. At the time he wasn't interested in teaching. He wasn't like, but he was the one who actually told me about a tape with the originals, the Diana Ross footage. He's like, no one else had it for me. So I remember that. And me and Tyrone, we were actually, we became really good friends. Like I hung out with him on my birthday. We went to the Cotton Club in Harlem and we were doing like swing dancing. Like he was a friend friend, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't a teacher. He was a friend friend for me. And he loved me because I was interested in his style and he wasn't doing it, but he just, you know, was happy to see someone else who was into this. So mm-hmm. we were always dancing together in the club. But anyhow, I remember like he told me about that video and he's like, I'm the only one who has it. I went to eBay to see if I can find this tape. 
And I found it online for like five bucks. <laughs> and I, you know, and I put in this tape. And as soon as I saw the section where they come out, mm-hmm. my mouth dropped to the floor. I would that was probably the most transformational moment. I've never seen anything like it. And I remember I had to call my, you know, specs in and said, Specs, we need to watch this because we're not doing the dance right. That's what we're not doing that at all. This is the original. We're nowhere near this. We're not anywhere near this. I I think we're doing something completely different. And he looked at it. He's like, Yeah, no, we don't do that here. <laughs> you know, we were so and- you, I'm sorry. So you actually got introduced to punking whacking in New York. Yeah. From from the last from- yeah. So and then like Anna is coming from L.A. to New York uh-huh. and you didn't even yeah. want to go to New- L.A. <laughs> no. You made the choice to go to New York. Yet here we are mm-hmm. with all these legends like coming up and like the originals, as you're talking about doing the style and just mm-hmm. not just giving you information, but seeing that you are and oh, that yeah. you're the and that you're you're the you're you're the torchbearer. Like they're setting, yeah. they're setting you up to be the torchbearer. Yeah, and I got a lot of, yeah, I got, I got in a lot of trouble from the younger generation because of that. Um, but yeah, that's basically what that was. I didn't realize it at the time. I was just enjoying right and falling in love with a dance that you know, obviously impacted me more than I thought. And it was just it naturally, it was. Um, thing that happened because I was already I already knew how to dance like that because mm-hmm. I watched the video when I was a kid. Right. I was learning all that stuff and with this art form and now I can I had a reference point. I can look at Michael when he's hitting all the poses and he's whacking. When I can I can look at Janet when she's doing all the stuff with the jacket and pleasure principle. Okay, she got that from Punky Whacking. Like I can catch the references now mm-hmm. because I understood from like, you know, she was like giving me that information through this art form. So I didn't really think about it. It was just something I already kind of had in my body anyway. Mm-hmm. It was just connecting with the original source or the more organic source to really begin to connect the dots. Um, so it wasn't something that, you know, was forced, you know. Some right. people just are naturally, they just naturally move a certain way and it just mm-hmm. lends itself to a certain style. And I just feel like I was, you know, that was me. You know, I had enough information to be able to, you know, really connect the dots in that way. Mm. Yeah. So, and then if I'm not mistaken, you started working for the House Dance Conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because one of the owners, she actually left. She she decided to leave the organization. And I remember Brian Brian at that point was a little bit up and down about keeping, you know, keeping the party going because it takes, it took a lot of resources. It took a lot of money. It took a lot of energy because we have to do it every month. Yeah. And in New York, it's like, you have to have a bar guarantee. Right. It was always hard for him. It was a lot of pressure on him and he, Mm -hmm. for Brian, I think to keep it going on a regular basis. So, you know, I, I just came in just to help him out, but that was it. You know, he did ask me if I wanted to become the owner for it, but I said, no, thank you, because it wasn't mine. 
it wasn't my vision. It wasn't my event. It wasn't anything. It wasn't mine. So right. I said no to that. And I said, but I'll help you at the door. And so, of course, you know, because of his, who he was and because of his vision and because of his contacts, you know, I was able to meet a lot of people within that space as well. So that's how, mm. it, that's how I became part of that. But I'm not really like an owner or anything right. like, you know, I'm just a girl at the door, making <laughs> sure everyone gets paid. Taking but, all the money. <laughs> but being at the door, did you meet a lot of, not did you meet any other people, but was that also a way for you to? Could, yeah. <laughs> well, met everyone. <laughs> yeah. And is that, so we've been talking, so it came up a lot uh, naturally about the uh, punking whacking, but how mm-hmm. did you branch into the voguing aspect? Was that um, from being? No, 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 no. Um, well, no, because Archie first, mm-hmm. Archie and I, we were always on the floor and I didn't realize what Archie was doing was a mix of whacking with voguing with lofting. You know, he was a club mm-hmm. dancer. So I started initially with Archie and just being on the floor with Archie and uh-huh. mimicking a lot of what he was doing. Um, and he was actually part of the house manager. I did not know he was, the, he was the father or grandfather. I did Wait, not know at the time. Archie was? Yeah, Archie is the father. He was the father of the house ninja. I did not know that. I didn't know. I didn't was, know that. And I didn't know he was Tyrone Proctor's brother-in-law. He kept all of that to himself. I didn't know anything. I was just dancing with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But okay. How did? Well, Boeing. I just Danielle at the time was young, and she was actually the one who was like getting serious about Vogue. Mm-hmm. She's the one that put me into a place called the Clubhouse, which was a place in Harlem that all the, the you know, all the people would go to, you know, and they have like many balls at two in the morning. So it's really weird because it's like this undisclosed location, like, you know, it's just a space. So you mm-hmm. go in, you see all these people, they look like normal, you know, regular hip hop party. They're playing regular hip hop music. 2 a.m., the bow beats came on and it turned into a mini ball and everybody would start doing their thing. And the legends, well, now they're icons, but that's where like people like Deshaun, Naomi and Pony and all these people, they were there, mm. like just practicing and getting it in. And then there was other places like at Escolitas, which mm-hmm. is in Times Square. They used to have like balls on Sundays, like mini balls. And then they would have like other like vote nights and stuff like that, like parties like that. So, and then of course they would come to the house parties because, you know, there wasn't so many balls Mm -hmm. in New York. So whenever they didn't go to the ball, they'd come to the party, the house parties. So you would, they were intermixed with the regular house heads or whatever. So they were just always around, but, and I was always dancing with Archie. My first, and I met Willie Ninja. I knew Willie Ninja because he used to run parties at, um, in New York called the underground network. He used to be at the door. Mm-hmm. And he knew all the heads. He knew all of us. And he will always say, look out for us. So it's New York is strange because everyone is just intertwined. Mm-hmm. It's even though if even if the scenes are separate, it's still intertwined. Right. So like Vogue was always around. And Archie and I had a really good relationship. And then eventually what shifted the game was when when Willie Ninja passed away in 20 or 2006, mm-hmm. that's what changed the game. Um, 
because that's when, yeah, his passing just changed New York. I've never met someone, you know, people, we've lost a lot of people, but his death changed everybody. Like New York was not the same mm. when he left. So, and then that's when Archie at the point, at that point really started getting interested in teaching. I think to deal with the grief, to mm-hmm. be really honest, I don't know, but I'm just guessing because he was really heartbroken. And also, you know, Tyrone started teaching. And that's when he started teaching Vogue and the House of Ninja at the time was pretty much in disarray. They had a lot of opportunities coming their way. So mm-hmm. they had to expand the house to invite more people and more dancers to be able to accommodate all the work that they were, you know, getting. Mm-hmm. And I got the invitation because Archie and I were very good friends. And he kept telling me, like, you need to come to these rehearsals. You need to see what's going on. You need to see what's <laughs> the drama. You need to see all this because it's really, really a, a lot going on. That's how I started connecting with the House of Ninjas. And eventually, Benny invited me, actually in Sweden, ironically, <laughs> he invited me to the house. But that's sort of how I started getting involved with them and learning. What were you doing in Sweden then? <sighs> okay. <laughs> we got invited. To, <laughs> we got it. We both got invited to come to Street Star. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, Street Star. Mm-hmm. So I came in 2011 to come to Street Star with Benny. Aha. Uh-huh. And we had. We were already very, very close because when he was teaching Vogue, I was teaching Punky and Wacky. We were both at Perry Dance. Mm-hmm. We were very, like, really, really close. And I was also really close with Javier. Javier is like my brother. Mm-hmm. So we already had a natural family dynamic to begin with. But, and this is at the point where Anna, Anna, who formerly Ninja, mm-hmm. she was, he had connected with the house with um, Jed, you know, so mm-hmm. they were dancing together and they were brought into the house. So they had already started expanding the house already internationally. And we happened to get this gig together where we went to Sweden. And he asked me, we were in a club and he, you know, he's like, you know, I wanted to ask you something. And he said, you know, your style is ninja style. And, you know, you're like family. So, do you want to become part of our house? Ah, very sweet. Yeah, and yeah, it happened in it happened in Sweden. Happened and, in Stockholm. And look where we are, eleven years later. And funny enough, he was the one who wanted to move to Sweden. Huh. He loved Sweden. He loved. He got so much love and so much great reception from the Swedish people when he came because he mm-hmm. was already famous because of America's Next Top Model and all the work that he was doing. He wanted to move. And I said to him, he was like, I was like, Benny, no, you're going to move to Sweden? And he's like, yeah, I think I want to move. I said, okay, well, you do that. I'm going to stay in New York. (laughs) And I'm going to come back and I'll visit. And he was like, you can teach workshops when you're more established. You can come back and you can teach workshops and you can do all this stuff. I was like, okay, whatever. And I'm going to be in New York a year later. Who ends up in Sweden? <laughs> and who ends, bringing, who ends up bringing the culture to Gothenburg? Yeah. 
So, okay, you. How long before before we jump over to Sweden? How long were you in New York total? Oh, almost ten years. Almost ten yeah. years. Okay. And um, yeah, as I said earlier, before as you when you mentioned being the torch bearer. Wait, we skipped a part. Okay, we skipped the part. I went to LA. I did go to LA over that time because I I lived with Shabadoo for a while. I was so I was going to come back to that actually. Okay. Yeah. So for those yeah. that don't know Shabadoo, you shouldn't know this name. If you ever seen the movie uh, Electric Boogaloo, uh, I'm sorry, Breaking. Sorry. Breaking. And then the second Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo. Even though the Electric Boogaloo's weren't in there, but okay. Um, yeah. yeah. But Shabadoo is the lead dancer of these movies but he's yeah. he was he's a lead dancer in these movies because he was a famous dancer before that just so you know but if you're recognizing this name exactly yeah. he's one of the original lockers and mm-hmm. then he also became famous because of the big show he was a lead dancer and lead choreographer for those episodes with david winters and then he mm-hmm. became a movie star through the movie breaking and also limbada limbada i think yep. yeah he was limbada. so how okay. did you how did you connect with him well, here's the funny part. <laughs> um, after we, there was a contest that happened in New York. The very first, like, known whacking contest that happened in the world happened in New York. And I mm-hmm. entered. Um, unfortunately, I was second, but that's a long story. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because at the time, you know, New York didn't really know anything about L.A., and as far as their approach to whacking, they didn't really know anything about the history. They just knew just a little bit from what they learned from or what they were doing in the clubs, which mm-hmm. was like a mix of like, you know, Vogue and, you know, all this other club mm-hmm. dancers. So it wasn't really rooted in the culture. But because I knew Anna, Anna was a mentor for me. Mm-hmm. I knew about Shabadoo because of his videos that mm-hmm. I watched and studied. I was coming into the contest doing all the L.A. stuff and people were just very confused. <laughs> they didn't know what they were looking at, but they liked it, but they didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, I came in second and I said, well, you know, I want to, I want to continue to keep learning more and more about this other style. Like I want to go to LA. I want to train. I really want to like ground myself in this dance. And at that time, Anna was reconnecting with Shabadoo again and they mm-hmm. were dancing together. Again. So I told her, I said, you know, I would really love to learn from him you know, put in a good word for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So eventually Archie had sent footage of me from the contest to him. And well, you, you know how Shabadoo was. Yeah. He never, he, he would never give it up to anybody. No. But he, but he wrote to Archie, he saw the video and said, wow, really good energy. She could be worked into something quite magnificent. Thank you for sharing. And then he had lunch with Anna and asked Anna, Anna, who's Alyssa? Who is she? And Anna told her, like, she's my student from New York. And if it was back in the day, we'd be bookends. She's wow. that good. So he heard of me through those two. And then we connected on MySpace. And MySpace is, for, for those of you that don't know, MySpace was a uh, pre- preceded ancient. Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> yes, it was the ancient version of social media as we know it to be now yes but um it's usually used for music but now mm. you know no longer but we connected on myspace he sent me a flyer to attend one of his workshops in paris and i said um i don't think i'm going to be able to go to paris to see you <laughs> but I'll see 
you should really think about bringing your classes to New York. Mm. And two days later, he called Archie and said, hey, Archie, I want to come to New York. How do, how do we make that happen? And Archie called me and said, you know, Shabadoo wants to come to New York. Yeah. You want to help him? I said, sure. Tell him to, you know, do this, do that, contact these people at Broadway Dance Center. And then he eventually asked me to be his assistant when he came to New York. What? So that's how all that came about. And we became really good friends because the interesting part about it is when I saw him dancing, he danced, there were certain moves and his vibe was very reminiscent of how people dance in Chicago. There was a dance in Chicago called the Bob, mm -hmm. which is also known as Step. So he used to do a step called the Time Step, he called it. And it had that energy, it had that same vibe as the Bob. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you're from Chicago, you know what that vibe is. So I remember him teaching it to one of the students and I said to him, you know, Shab, you know, that step that you're doing, you know what it reminds me of? He's like, what? It reminds me of the Bob. And his eyes lit up like a kid. He's like, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing the Bob. I'm bopping it. And, and then I'm mixing all this other stuff like the salsa, but that's stuff. I'm just doing the Bob. I was like, and from then we were very, very, very close. Because he, I totally understood where he was coming you, you, from. You proved, your, you proved your worth by seeing that special Chicago flavor. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know how to step? Do you know how to bop? Yeah. Why don't you teach it? Yeah. Um. No, because it's sacred. No. <laughs> just, like, just, just like the way like people do house in Chicago, I think it's very sacred. And mm -hmm. seeing how the world has pretty much just, you know just absorb New York and all the names. Like, for example, we don't have names for steps in Chicago. Mm -hmm. If you come into a club and a house scene and you bring in all these steps and these names, they don't know what you're talking about because mm -hmm. we don't codify. We just, it's the feeling. Right. It, it's the essence. And so I just feel like certain things should, still, should stay sacred. It's watching how New York house is globalized. Mm -hmm. And it's like one of those things where you just got to go to Chicago and you just got to. You got to be in it. You got to feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to be there. You got to be surrounded by the culture, the people and, and catch the vibe. So that's what made that man. That, but that's what made him special. Because mm -hmm. not only did he have that Chicago vibe on top of the L.A. soul vibe, on top of the lockers, mm -hmm. on top of the whole fucking whacking vibe. Like he had all of that in his body. All of that. I was like, this is fucking crazy. This man is insane. How long were you in LA training with him? Or were those, okay, that's kind of two questions. How long were you in LA and how long are you training with them if they're separate? I want to say two years, maybe a year and a half, two <clears> years, because mm -hmm. like our, we were very, very close. I mean, I stayed with him to train with him, which is really scary because, you know, <laughs> I got to know him in a very personal way that no one else got to. Mm -hmm. That's his persona is not how he really was mm -hmm. in real life. Um, so I understood how he would get triggered by certain situations, but we were super close and I got to see, unfortunately, like his personal challenges and, you know, so that was really intense. Mm -hmm. And then um, I got to like stay with Anna and I got to hang out with her. 
and I got to vibe with her. I got to stay with Victor as well, Victor Manuel. That's, I was going to bring that up next. Since you mentioned him, how'd you get in touch with Victor? Because you guys are super close. Yeah. Um, Shab and I had a falling out. Mm-hmm. So that he kind of was sort of exed out of my life. And then as soon as he left, that's when Anna connected with Victor because at the time, Tony Basil was writing a book and she had invited Victor to come and do an interview about Punky and Whacking because mm-hmm. she's, I think, writing a whole section about it. So that's how they connected again. And then eventually through her, I got in contact with Victor. I sent him the video. I created a video called Whacking an American Classic, which featured his friends. And I sent the video to him. I was like, I don't know if you want to see this, but he started crying Aww. because it was his friends in the video. So it made him deeply, like really, really emotional. That's how we connected. And then eventually I met him directly in LA, Joanna at mm-hmm. the club. Cause he wasn't teaching either. He was just doing his thing, you know, as a cowboy and as a Pilates teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we were just, we just met because of, you know, there were some circumstances, there was some events happening where people were trying to talk about whacking and he was on the panel. You know, it was a lot going on in LA. So, but that's how, that's it. It was just really, we connected because he wanted to, or he was brought in to kind of fix the situation because it got so out of control at that point with the misinformation. And there was a lot of, sorry to say, there was a lot of gaslighting happening. There was a lot of just negative energy being spewed our way, especially towards me because I was a, torchbearer i Mm. guess so it was just a lot of stuff that people were trying to clear up and he was brought in to clarify you know a lot of what we thought it was what it was from his experience bringing clarity to like who his friends were what their contribution was it was just a lot right yeah and then one more backup quick question. You don't have to go into details of it, but you said you had a falling out with Shab. Was that while you were still in LA training with him or was that after the two years that you were, oh, wow. It overlapped. You know, he had a lot of personal struggles. Um, I don't, I have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Like he had serious mood issues. Mm-hmm that did resemble what we, we would consider bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that I'd been, been that close to someone who showed those symptoms and showed those behaviors. So it made it extremely difficult for us to, you know, get on because he would just go through these extremes mm-hmm. and it's very, very controlling. Um, and very, you know, confusing. He would just contradict himself. So it went, anyway, it just became a point where he delivered a message to Anna and he said he just never wanted, he didn't want me to do anything with his dancing. He didn't want me to teach. He didn't want me, him, me to contact him ever again because mm. he was just going on in the mood. And that really, really hurt. Yeah. So after that, that was just the beginning of us moving away Apart. from each other. I mean, eventually mm. he did ask me to like teach his style which I did introduce to New York for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I was just like, yeah, time to move on. That was a deep cut. So, yeah, it, yeah, it was. So it, it just kind of overlapped. 
Because mm. it felt like he went out, he left, and then Victor came in like mm. right away. I don't know. It was just a really strange like back to back meeting, um, which I thought was also a blessing in disguise because it was like, okay, well, here he is to come and give us a lot more clarity and insight mm-hmm. and answer the questions that Shabadu couldn't really, which he did. And mm-hmm. he's been doing that. That's, yeah, you know, the universe is always that. Right weird balancing act of one door closes, another one opens. And mm-hmm. then for me, it happens at the same time. So, and you know, we, to be and we, we touched upon this earlier, uh, when, with you, the universe having, uh, presenting situations and experiences that made you make a choice to move to New York. And then, mm-hmm. uh, I was saying, you know, something happens, you adjust same thing here universe presented situations where you had to make some decisions and then you adjusted and then the universe adjusted with you. And here was Victor coming in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Um, and then also I think after that I met Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was just meeting all of them like bad to bad to back at that point. Um, and Dallas at one point wanted me to team up with her. And I, I turned it down because I was like, no, at that point I was in Europe and I was just ready to be on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to keep at that point. I felt that I was being held back by a lot of the OGs anyway, because mm-hmm. they wanted to keep working and I was good and they didn't want me to take their work. Right. And I was, mm. and I was being targeted. I was being targeted by the younger generation because they were jealous. Right. And, you know, they wanted, they wanted to be seen like for them, you know, they wanted to be seen. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to be it. You know, they were claiming to be kings and queens and masters. And they didn't even know the history. They didn't know anything. And they were trashing me in classes in Europe and everywhere. So it was just really difficult for me at the time to deal with all that. So I had to eventually just leave. Mm-hmm. and let it go and start fresh um, because, you know, it wasn't enough support for me to stay. Right. So, like, why bother? So I moved on. All right. So now we're in Sweden, 2012. Mm-hmm. We met. First London. No, actually, we're in London. You were in London first. Yeah. How long were you in London? Two years? I was in London for about nine months. Nine months. And then I moved to Sweden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's when we met at Dance mm-hmm. Forum. Uh, you started teaching there and we connected. Um, and what was, how can I say, how, how, how long after you moved here did you do the, uh, the first ball? Oh, uh, I would say three years. Yeah. It was 2016. It was 2016. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was the same side, I remember. So, yeah. Right. 2016. Yeah, uh, I was actually I, was, I was actually in Malmo. I couldn't be there for it because you were cursing me out. You weren't cursing me out, but you were upset that I couldn't be there for the first one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, um, and it wasn't my choice. I, I just want to make this clear because I didn't decide to. It wasn't like my initiative to do it. It was actually someone else's, and he happened to be a b boy, but he saw that I was here, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I want to do a voguing whacking event." Because it, you know, no, but nothing had really, no one was doing it here in Gothenburg. Mm-hmm. So he just pulled me into that, you know, so we can plan that. Um, 
so that's really how all that happened. And, you know, because me being from the culture, I was like, okay, well, if this is the first, then we have to make sure we have the right people here judging. We have to have an icon come, you know, we have mm-hmm. to do this because it's all about that first one. That right. sets the stage for the others. And that kind of protects the karma mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, and how it develops. So I really was the one that was kind of making sure that everything was done right mm-hmm. so it could flourish in the right way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's how I ended up doing that. It wasn't something I intended to do at all. It was just it was the furthest thing from my mind. So work so working with working with voguing uh and whacking uh before that for the three years up to that what was your what was the entrance into the scandinavian what was the int- okay how can i say this for those three years leading up to that ball how was it for you introducing whacking and voguing as as the two art forms in the scandinavian society there we go that's my question we go um it was well and for i can only speak with uh gothenburg mm. it was it was slow it mm. was very very tricky because um you know dance forum it was sort of up and down mm. but then eventually i ended up teaching with at a school called world dance company mm-hmm. which was like more comfortable for me so the teacher she sort of believed in it she was like this is something really different and I'm going to invest in you Mm. because I think eventually it will grow, you know, and, you know, she had to take a little bit of losses financially because the classes were not like growing, like, you know, exponentially. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. I got you. Um, (laughs) So eventually, um, you know, after I did that first event, that's when it really started to grow. And then when I did the second one, that's when I redirected the whole you know, culture towards the gay community mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, the first one was great. And it's still one of my favorites because it was just people from the scene mm-hmm. from Stockholm coming to support it. And also from Sherpaham and Malmer, you know, it was mm-hmm. really cool, but there was no audience. So I was like, okay, we need to redirect it to the audience. And I remember like the people who I did it with, they were upset because they didn't make any money from it. And I was just like, well, it's not, you're not supposed to make money from it. You're not even, this is not your thing. Right. Yeah. So I said, we're going to redirect this towards the the gay community or the queer community, you know, Mm -hmm. because they need to know and they need to be aware that this is here. Mm -hmm. And once they see what it is and once they see, you know, the energy and the vibe, I'm pretty sure they will get interested and they will want to somehow join it or participate in it. So that was my very, it was a very conscious decision I made. And once I did that, that's when all my classes started growing. Mm-hmm. And it was exclusively, almost exclusively for the LGBTQ members, mostly. It, and that's when things started to shift. But it was just a matter of me removing it from dancers, you mm-hmm. know, and focusing on, you know, institutions and all that, focusing on the community that made it grow. Going back to the core um, of what it was supposed to be, or where it come from, mm. authenticity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it was a little different, like for Stockholm, because Stockholm was it's a lot more established and it's a different type of city because there's a lot more schools and there's a lot more events. Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of the people who were members of the House of Ninja, 
they were living in Stockholm. Mm -hmm. So it was much easier for it to be exposed to, to, you know, to that particular region. But here, you know, it was just a lot of people who were really like clueless mm -hmm. about it. So it just, it was just a matter of shifting into the community. And we, we had the museum, the second one, it was packed because we did it for free. So we, we packed out the whole museum and we couldn't even invite, we couldn't bring more people because there was like a whole line. We couldn't bring more people in because we didn't have enough security. But we had over 300 people there. Wow. For that second event. And I brought Aviant mm -hmm. and I brought Victor. He, that was the last time Victor came. I brought him for that event. And I told Victor, Victor was like coming up with all these ideas. Like, I want to do this song. And I said, Victor, this is a very unique opportunity. This is not like the street dance events that you've been to in Stockholm. These people have no idea about what punking is. So you're literally the only one that can introduce it to an audience that's pure. It's a room full of people who are pure. They know nothing. So if I were you, I would choose that song that was the song that you used, that all of your friends used to dance to, to make your mark mm -hmm. and educate. Like this is an educational moment. So, and that's how I always go into those situations with like the ballroom situation. It's always an educational moment. How do we edutain? Just mm -hmm. like in the house dance conference, it was all about edutainment. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just party. So it was always, for me, it's always that we need to educate this audience. You have the audience, now let them know what it is. Don't let them, don't, don't let them guess. Because then that's a problem. Right. And they get confused. They don't know what to, you know. They don't know what to do with it. No. And they're looking on social media and they're copying and pasting and mm -hmm. confusion. So I'm like, this is a chance where you can just introduce what you do. And I'm pretty sure they, they're going to eat it up. There's no interference. You don't have to defend yourself. You just have to be. So that's what I've always loved about doing stuff here. Because mm -hmm. it was just always freedom and openness to just give the information from a very pure place. There was no competition. There was no negativity. It was just, here we go. And people just sort of absorb it. So that's really how I started to expand and how my classes started to grow and how my reputation started to grow here. Um, so, yeah. And then now your reputation hasn't only grown within the scene, the government under now put some respects on your name in the last in 2021. Yeah. 2021, you received not right. one, but two culture mm -hmm. stipends, one from the region, yeah. one from the city. Yeah. Well, was it the region or was it the national? It was the national and then it was the national. And then it was the, City Where of Mundal. Like, yeah. Yeah. So she got, uh, she was awarded one of the government national, if you're from the U.S., sort of think of the National Endowment of the Arts when that was a thing. <laughs> uh, she received, exactly. she received an award from the Swedish government uh, mm -hmm. for her work with, uh, with bringing the culture to the forefront in the Swedish society. And then she was recognized by, uh, we live in, the major town we live in is Gothenburg, but it's Mundal is like a suburb of it, but it's its own also city, but it's still considered Gothenburg. Yes. But the city of Mundal, which is where she lives, 
recognized her as a resident of that city for the work that she's doing as well. And then this year, recently, is that, wait, can I say this? Is that known yet? Yeah, okay. it's, it's out. Yeah. Okay. Everyone knows. Yeah. So then 2022, she just received another stipend. Which one was that? Well, it was a grant. A it gr- was actually a grant. Well, it's a developmental grant to turn my company into, to do more work as far as like more of a performing arts company now. So for choreography, for, you know, doing events, you know, just to bring it to the city of Gothenburg. Listen. So, yeah. So Urban Anarchy is now, Urban Anarchy was started as just like, I just used that name when I was in London. It was just a name that I used to name my workshop because I wanted to to connect like punk from America with punking, you know, from, well, punk from UK with punking from America. So it was just a name I came up with. Mm-hmm. But now it's turning into like a company company. So, yeah. Because she's doing a damn thing, y'all. Listen, <laughs> as I said, she's a leader going into the next generation. So we just talked. She had the older generation. Then she had the <laughs> up and coming generation. And now she has the future generations knowing who exactly she is and what it is that this art form of whacking slash punking which punking is actually the official name of it. Whacking is what? Punk, punking is the base of it. Original name. Right. That is the original name. Um, and then whacking was the commercial name mm-hmm. of it. And Dropping some knowledge named, on y'all. It's named after one of the elements. It's the arm element of mm-hmm. punking. So everybody knows it as whacking, but it, the real name, the original name that the people gave it was punking. So if you go to L.A., talk to some OGs, you're, you're going to hear, if you stay punking, they'll know what you're talking about. And it's much more than just the arms. It's the drama and the beauty of it. And it's a story. You know, this is how I connect. This is how I try to connect the dots. And this is the beauty of being able to know both of these styles. So you have, for example, Vogue Femme, mm-hmm. right? And then in Vogue Femme, you have particular, you have elements of Vogue Femme. You have mm-hmm. like hands, walks, catwalks, all that, right? And then there's a category in ballroom called hand performance, which is all, it's basically just focused on the hands mm-hmm. that comes from. So if you're going to connect the dots, hand performance is a part of Vogue Femme. Vogue Femme is the full expression. Hand performance is the hands part of Vogue Femme. Mm-hmm. Coming over here, you have punking, which is the full expression, which is punking, posing, whacking. Those mm-hmm. are the three main elements. And then you have whacking which is one of the elements of punking. So if you understand that from that point of view, then you don't get confused. But a lot of the generation, the younger generation, their first connection to the dance is to the arms. Yeah. And that's sort of where they stay. So they keep doing the arms and then they keep copying and pasting whatever other styles they like. Mm-hmm. They don't really go into the other elements. So they're kind of missing that extra, the essence of what the style really where it really comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not judging them. No. I, you know, they're having fun. <laughs> and that's their choice that that's how they want to express themselves. But for me, it's like, you know, tricky for me because it's not really fully, you're, it's like asking someone who does woke femme to come out and just do hands. Right. And I'm going to act, I'm going to add in another layer in that as well. I'm going to go into breaking with power moves that a lot of the current generation it's, it's actually interesting because it's going back into, a, into an upswing of uh, floor work and uh, rocking, top rock and uh, floor rock. But 
for a while, a lot of a lot of breakers were just going in and just throwing down power moves left and right, like your nineties, mm-hmm. your uh, your windmills, your head spins, blah 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 blah. And yes, power moves are an element of breaking, but it's not exactly. just the essential. So a lot of the OGs at who were judging when they would go to when they were judging a battle. These, these, I say kids, but these breakers that were just doing power moves when they wouldn't win, they're like, what is it? It's like, yeah, but it's great. You can do that. But where's the music? Like, where's the essence of the dance? Where's the dance? Where's the dancing part? Yeah. 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 And it's That's the same. The same in locking. I was just about to say, locking. I was just about to say same thing with locking. People forget to lock, you know, I actually, yeah. and this is the other thing I learned. I, I learned how to lock from Shabadoo. Mm-hmm. He was my real locking teacher because mm-hmm. he wanted me to learn how to lock. Because he said, if you have the power of locking, you it'll give you more power when you do punking and whacking. So mm-hmm. you need to learn. You should learn how to lock. So I said, okay, cool, whatever. I'll do what you want me to do, whatever. And he taught it to me because I'm not, a, you know, it's not my thing. It was mm-hmm. Specs is really great at locking, but for me, I was like, ah. <laughs> but he he taught it to me from the perspective of slow dancing. Mm-hmm. He said, if you think of it as soul dances, a series of soul dances, then you will you will understand locking. Mm-hmm. And he was like, right. I learned it within a month. I don't like from training with him. Mm-hmm. Like it just gave me like the soul stuff. And then you add all the extra, like the hand, the wrist rolls and the locking and all the points that just all comes like after. But the essence and the core of it was always from the soul dancing. So, you know, when everyone is doing all the 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 splits and the knee drops and mm-hmm. all the more physical stuff, he was like, that's actually just a punctuation. Mm-hmm. That's like to finish the sentence, you can do that. Right. But it shouldn't be the core. If everything you're doing is and you're not locking, then you're not you're locking. Not, no, you're not honoring the, the whole point of the dance. And let's also, while we're talking about this, put put uh, set the record straight. Whacking punking is not the gay cousin of locking. They're two separate. No, they're no, two separate. All, they are very separate. But, you know, this is how I also look at it, because if you look at the different regions mm. of dancers, dancers that come out of these regions, for example, if you look at Old Way, Vogue, mm-hmm. you do see the influence of Electric Boogie, which is the style that was being done in New York. You see mm-hmm. the influence of break and the dips. Right. So it's, you know, over in LA, the trifecta was punking, whacking, locking, and boogaloo or popping. So of course they all naturally carry very similar influences among each other because they're from the same neighborhood. Right. They grew up in the same neighborhood. And that's just part of the region and that's part of the vibe. But it's not the same. They're not the same, you know, they didn't, they are different separate dances and they're separate expressions, but they all carry those similar qualities because of the region they're from. Mm -hmm. And you get inspired by the dancers around you, you know? I mean, yeah, you can easily, someone can argue a dip in old way is a freeze. Right. (laughs) And you can can argue that, or it's a floor move in house, Mm -hmm. you know, for example. Right. Because New York dance, you do hit the floor. All uh, all the dances I know from New York, you hit the floor. You mm-hmm. do floor work. It's not so much an LA thing. LA is like they hit the floor like a punctuation mark, like a bam, but they don't stay there. It's right. very different. You know, even like when popping, they do like some like a, some knee moves and then they come back up. Mm-hmm. It's not like LA. It's not like New York. So even those little subtle nuances 
you know, that does make the markings of these dances from these different regions, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Every subculture had their own thing. And they, you know, they just develop and flourish in different ways. I mean, and they have different themes and different things that inspire them personally to create those styles. So, you know. Mm-hmm. So are you still, uh, not are you still, but are you, uh, now that Corona is over, because I know that put a dent in all of our freaking lives, especially as artists and teachers. Well, one, of my dancers, one, of my dancers has, one, one of my dancers has COVID at the moment. So oh, Lord. Oi. Yeah. But uh, will you be going back and doing so, more uh, lectures and traveling workshops, spreading the knowledge? Or are you, or is there a different focus for Miss Alyssa Chloe at this point? Um, I'm very busy at the moment um, with a lot of projects because of course in Sweden, you know, as soon as they lifted all the restrictions, that's when they started giving like all the money and green lighting, all these new projects. So I'm really like, I had to hustle and push all these projects out mm-hmm. and, and do all this other work on stage. So I won't be able to travel this year, mm. maybe next year, you never know. But for now it's just, they want us to create. They want us to choreograph. They want us to do projects. That's what they want. So, and you're also, I to stay, I'm sorry, go ahead. I have to stay here and do that. And I have to fulfill those obligations, obviously. So, and I was going to say, and you're also performing with a company. Moa. 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 Yeah. Yeah. We're still, we're still working. I think we're going to do the last installation of her piece momentum next year mm-hmm. or this year going into next year. But then is I have a, my own pieces. Is it a three-part or four-part piece? This is three parts. Three-part. Mm. So this is the third part. And now mm. I'm going into my piece or my 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 work. Mm. So I'm just that you've, gotten, that you've gotten government funding for. <laughs> <laughs> to produce. So yes. yeah, I, I'm like right in between like all these projects right now and trying to make it all work and make it happen. And yeah, I have a... Oh movie i have to shoot like one of my dance films like because my thing is to try to bring punking and whacking back to film because mm-hmm. that was the the medium that inspired it so i'm working on that this summer or at least starting on that this summer and then i'm and i just finished choreographing a piece that i got at least three residencies or two or three residencies for hey here create so it's a vogue ballroom inspired piece and we have people from the actual ballroom scene performing in it, which is really exciting. So I just finished with that piece. Nice. And we'll be performing that. We got an invitation to do it in Stockholm. We have an invitation to do it in Malmö as well. So yeah, we're going to be performing that later on this year. Hey. Yeah. And then I'm going to start creating new stuff, other stuff as well. So looking forward to it. So you mentioned movies. I wanted because I this is this is fun for me. So uh, I also I, I teach. Uh, I've been teaching a jazz history uh, lecture over the last couple of years, which is uh, connecting the jazz history to its uh, black roots and vernacular jazz roots, and connecting it into modern uh, jazz and hip hop and commercial and everything. But I know you love a good history story as well, and you're a big. Uh, old school, ho- old Hollywood fan. Oh yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> please. I'm an encyclopedia. Oh, right, goodness. that's what I'm saying. So, 
Um, you mentioned Bob Fosse before. Oh my God, he was my favorite. I mean, we can go through all of his films and all of his shows, and I'm just like, okay, I know everything. I'm like a nerd on Bob Fosse. He was my favorite. He's from Chicago. His birthday is the day after mine. I was like already there. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. Um. <laughs> what about because I for me I'm really into the uh, female performers of the time because the guys wouldn't be anything without the females. Grant Burden was yeah. <laughs> the nastiest, one of the nastiest jazz dancers. And I mean, she was just pure, like between Jack Cole mm-hmm. to Fosse, being Fosse's muse mm-hmm. and basically create a partner. Like those pieces came to life because of her. Yeah. And she like, we go back and look and not just like the, the 70s stuff that he's more, I guess, known for. But if you go back to like, like, just look at whatever Lola wants. Mm-hmm. I steal from that all the time. Is that damn Yankees? Like, That's damn Yankees, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah, and she's doing all the and doing all the gestures and genius. Yeah. There's this really great clip of her and Fosse, like a black and white clip on YouTube mm-hmm. where they're explaining the process and he's explaining the process of actually how he built the the number. And it starts with just her getting a script and singing the song and then it develops into her just wearing a black turn like and just simple clothes and just doing everything and doing all the gestures and doing all the you know and giving you just lola mm. and it's just genius because it's just simple but it's just she was so good so good and Riking was like the other one mm-hmm. who was like a, you know but she was super trained in ballet and she was long and lean and just such a beautiful dancer i told one of my dancers when i was making the piece that i'm making now i sent her a picture of and Riking. i'm like this is what i want to I think this should be your inspiration. And she's like obsessed with her now. Yeah. Cause she's like, yes, you know, with the lines and mm-hmm. everything. It was just, and then I loved all the black films. I love, you know, Catherine Dunham. Of course she's mm-hmm. iconic and black dancing. If you don't know who she is, you need to look her up. She's a very, and she was based in Chicago as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, very important figure to know. She inspired Alvin Ailey and so many others. Stormy Weather. Look mm-hmm. at that, please. Actually, the whole movie. Look at that. That's the where the movie. scene. I think. Yeah. yeah. Entire film. Um, also, Cicerice. Thank you. She she my is my muse, and little do people know she's also in Janet's All Right video. She's the woman that comes out of the clothing store the in the dress. middle and does it does her kickball chains, four star step of pain. Yes. Give you a little. And, you know, glam, glam, leg, yes, legs for days, lines for days, perfection. Yes. Just Sid Charisse, that's my girl. Sid I love Sid Charisse. I loved Eleanor Powell when mm-hmm. she would do all, you know, the spins in a circle, and I loved her. I loved and I loved Ann Miller. Mm-hmm. If you look at Kiss Me Kate, and she does the number yep. two darn hot, and she's doing all the. And then she's rapping in her, uh, yes. And who's the other girl? Vera, Vera Ellen. She's in, what, well, she's more famous for White Christmas. She was the lead dancer in that. And oh, lead wow. I forgot about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I loved her. Um, then, of course, I love, like, you know, the Debbie Allens. And, you Debbie. know, I love, like, the Wales. 
like the movie The Wiz and all the great dancers that are yeah. featured in that. I, I love like all that jazz. I loved Greg Burge, who was in Chorus Line. He was the black dancer in Chorus Line. Mm-hmm. Another one. I love Gene Anthony Ray, who was a natural dancer. He wasn't Gene even trained. And he just had it. I love Cynthia Rhodes, who did the the manhunt scene in Flashdance. Flashdance. I'm going to call a man. And she started in Dirty Dancing as Penny. Mm-hmm. She was a beast. And she retired at a very young age. But Cynthia Rhodes. <laughs> yes. Miss Cynthia Rhodes and her. And then doing all the walkovers into the splits and the crawling. I was like, oh, why is this white girl doing this? Yeah. <laughs> why, is she not, why is she not even? Okay, let me stop. I'm not going to say anything about Kelly. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Maite, Princess yes, Dancer. Princess Dancer. Who, I love Maite. She was one of my favorites. A cat. Glover, who was from Chicago as well. She was a club dancer mm-hmm. who danced to Prince. I love all the Princess dancers because they always have the balance of street mm-hmm. and jazz. Um, I don't know. There's just so many good women to watch for inspiration, like especially in our era. Yeah. And even in the older era, it was just, they were just so elegant and clean and the technique was perfect. It was just like unreal. And, and it made me scared to become a dancer because I knew I could never live up to that. Ah, no, it's not about living up to it. It's about, again, carrying the influence, paying it forward so that the next generation knows where it came. Because that's that's one of my things. When when I teach, I throw out some of these names and like they're just blank faces. I'm like, no, 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 no. What you're going to do is you're going to use your phone right now and look this up. Or you know what? I'm about to show you a clip. This is what you this is my reference. This is what you need to look like. You know, a great meet me in St. and uh, meet me in Las Vegas. The scene with Fisheries, and it's narr- it's narrated by Sammy Davis Jr. She's wearing this blue dress, mm-hmm. and it's all about her. And I forgot she catches her man like cheating, and it's like this whole thing. And that's a beautiful one of one of Fisheries' finest scenes. Like I love the bandwagon, <laughs> which is what of Smooth course. Criminal is based off of. Yep. Yeah, that's where Michael got all of that that flavor from. Mm-hmm. The suit and everything. The whole, the whole, the, that whole scene is smooth criminal. But Sid yeah, is just, oh, uh, and then divine, uh, divine, just who, divine. Yeah, there's just something. So y'all do your homework. Cheetah Rivera. Cheetah Rivera. Cheetah Rivera. Cheetah Rivera. Rivera. Like you look Rita at Sweet Charity. Look at Sweet Charity. Look at West Side. You know. Yeah. There were fears. There were some fears. Like I said, the back when I was young, there was a pressure. There was a lot. And things mm. have shifted now. It's a lot more inclusive. And, you know, obviously street dancers changed the game. But there was a lot of pressure where you're like, you're going to be a dancer. You got to be able to do all that. Right. You know, you can be able to, you know, be that flawless if you really want to work and you really want to book. So it was a lot of And the thing about it is, it's not that they weren't that technical. It's just that they were that fierce, that the technique was secondary. And I don't, mm-hmm. and I don't mean secondary as then like they slacked on anything, but the reason why you watched them was because they were so charismatic. They, they so danced, they gave life. Yeah. And that's why I also say without, without these women, 
the guys would have been nothing because they brought these things to life. Everyone's like, oh, Michael Kidd, oh, Jerome Robbins, oh, Fosse. But yeah, all these, these women did it. Yeah. The women were the muses. Yes. They were the Without them, they it wouldn't the have developed into what it is. No, that's, they were the reason why they created what they mm-hmm. created. It, be able to like, you know, they had a vision for these women and they were like, you know, they were, they were the inspiration. So yes, I think yes. oftentimes, oftentimes the men get all the credit for all, everything they do, you yep. know, and you know, they get the credit for the genius, but the women never get credit for our genius. Yep. Ever. So, you know, and they were, there's so many on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, the girl from American in Paris who starred with Gene Kelly, uh, Leslie Caron. Um, Yo, how about Debbie Reynolds? And she was, yeah, she wasn't even super like trained, trained. She right. had to learn all that to be able to dance and sing it in the rain. And who was the one who was doing the tap dancing for Gene Kelly and singing in the rain during that scene? It was Gwen Verdon. Gwen Verdon. Yep. A lot of moments. And, you know, especially in the street dance scene, I don't know, but like women never get credited for what we contribute. Mm-hmm. And I've watched so many times with you know all the egos and you know and women getting thrown under a bus or just being wiped out of the history mm-hmm. for you know, so the men can be you know celebrated and women never get celebrated nope. it's just really hard on women and you know you would think in 2022 that would shift or that <laughs> would have shifted but it's so even with you know even with you know the the queer communities and the queer expressions women don't really get shine either Oh, I don't know. Especially, especially trans women. Yeah, yeah, but cisgender women too. It's yeah. both. Yeah, it's it's both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but a lot it's of times, I mean, it's valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of because, times the whole know, uh, what's what's it called the uh, fem the the not feminist movement but the uh, yeah it is it is the fem, the fem, the feminist oh. movement that it it's centered on one it centers on one woman type and excludes the rest of them until they need them to help out for their fr- it's just it's like y'all can't have it's the same with the lgbtq situation yeah, yeah. it's 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 male dominated it's you know it's usually you know it's women are not however you know whatever experience you have as a woman we're not recognized um yeah, look at pride look at what pride has become from wow. where it started not where, where where it's come but like who started it yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> and I've seen so many women get thrown under a bus because of men just mm. wanting to dominate and be in charge or whatever, just trying to be seen. So, you know, it hasn't shifted. I think it, it creates a level of distress sometimes between women and maybe these communities because we don't get at least openly acknowledged as we should. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always try to encourage all of our allies to show up for all of us because it's always a lot of some, especially the men, because sometimes the men are just on the sidelines, just not doing or saying enough mm-hmm. when you see something going on. So, you know, I wish they would do, they would show up more and speak up more and be a little more louder um, in that sense. But, you know, who knows? We'll, who we'll knows? see if that shift. Because all of my mentors were all women. You know, Anna was the one who was like, I'm going to, you know, be your mentor. Mm. Tony Basil, you know, she was also really kind to me. Um, Marjorie, Kim Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim. 
Violeta Galagarza, who runs three character teas. These women were just, they gave me so much love and so much support and so much life when the men didn't. Mm. So, you know, it's just, yeah, we need to do better. Listen to that. Speak, speak a message, speak a message. <laughs> All right, before we go, uh, mm-hmm. there's a special, this is my special sequence of Gamble's Green Room. Uh, mm-hmm. As you know, my name is my last name is Gamble, and it's a damn good not, name. Not Gamble and Hub. No, <laughs> I wish I was related to Gamble and Hub, but uh, I still haven't found yeah. that family connection. I haven't found connection to that dynasty yet. But uh, <laughs> what I did was I bought a roulette table. Oh, filled with sixteen shot glasses, and each shot glass is numbered and coordinates to a question. So we spin the magic wheel of roulette and you have to answer a question. And if we were together, you would do a shot. Well, this is not fun. (laughs) (laughs) We could have done this in real life. I love it. So Jules Jules was like, do you want me to go get a shot now? I can go get a shot. I was like, no, no, just relax. And then somebody else was, somebody else was like, so you want me to do a shot now? Uh, okay, I'm fine. I love it. So we're going to try it. At, at some point, we'll do this again. And we'll do it together. We'll do it together. But are you game? Are you up for it? What's, okay, so I'm asking, what, give me the rules again. Because okay. I'm so distracted by the shot. <laughs> <laughs> so I spin the magic roulette table. It lands on a number. And I read the question. You answer the question. And it's nothing, right, it's not, it's nothing shady or anything. It, they're just fine. All right, let's go. Okay, let's, let's go. go. Here we go. Round and round and round the magic wheel goes. Number 30. Oh, 30. Oh, this is an interesting one. Oh. <laughs> a celebrity or a project you're still waiting to work with or accomplish? Uh, my movie. Uh, there's no celebrity. I, I don't, all my celebrities are unfortunately... <laughs> not they're not all dead but you know like yeah. i don't have the same urgency to work with celebrity because mm-hmm. i think celebrity is a little played out nowadays or right. you know oh. but my project, definitely my so can you can you tell a little bit about the movie uh well i got a little money for it <laughs> that's good um it's a project um like it's called Beautiful and True Things. Mm-hmm. It's inspired by a book by Oscar Wilde, mm-hmm. um, The Decay of Lying. So um, hopefully through this, under this project, I'm going to start releasing film shorts with Poking and Whacking um, as the as the forefront, as the center uh, style. And, um, so I'm going to start this summer shooting it, like in, 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 in the month, so very soon. I have to start... Um, planning that but yeah we're going to shoot that hopefully the first film will be done by september and then i'm going to keep doing more so with the the grant money that i got from for urban anarchy it's going to go a little bit it's going to go towards that as well because i want to bring film i want to put it back on film yes and after the pandemic i don't you know after this pandemic it's like it's cool to be on stage Mm -hmm. and to have a live experience and of course i want that but film is forever yeah anybody everybody will always be able to have that reference point archive when you think yeah just like the movies Mm -hmm. you know this why we all know these films because it's on film Mm -hmm. and everyone can experience it so i really want to put that there nice all right well she's not even waiting to accomplish it 
She's making it happen. Yeah. Coming to a theater near you soon. That's hope. Hopefully you never know how the stars align with me. Because I was I was just about to say with you again, you're the you're the person you're the person the person wow, you're the persona of stars in alignment. What's meant to be is meant to be. If it's meant for you, it's there for you. Yeah. Totally. All right, Stronze, let's go. So before we go, if people want to stay in tune with uh, the releases of uh, Beautiful Untrue Things or any of the other upcoming projects with Miss Alyssa Chloe, uh, can they follow you online, social media? You can media? follow me on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram? Alyssa Chloe underscore 22. Mm-hmm. Or you can follow Urban Anarchy Company, Urban Anarchy CO. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Facebook, but not so much. Not so really. much. It's- no, and I'm not so much on Instagram either, but you can see at least my process and what I'm mm. up to there anyway. So cool. So you got two. You got at Alyssa Chloe underscore 22 and yeah. you have at Urban Anarchy Co. C.O. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. Urban Anarchy Company. Dope. All right, then. And if you're not doing it already, of course, make sure you follow at Gamble's Green Room on Instagram to stay up to date of all of our upcoming and past guests and some mm-hmm. behind the scenes footage and goodies of who our guests are and what we do when we're talking on camera and stuff. And we got some other good stuff coming up. I'm so excited. So I'm, number one, thank you, Lisa, for doing this. Thank you for inviting me. Of really, course. Really cool. You're my sis. You're, I told you. We've... But it's weird because you're here. I know. I feel like we could have just done it here, like face to face. I know, yeah. but I don't have the, I, I've been slacking. I haven't been slacking. I've been working my ass off, but I've been slacking. on Making history and, yeah. and, 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 going <laughs> and but I want to make sure. Like, making history. It's like a running joke between us. Wait, 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 before you go. It's like this yeah. running joke. I always tell people because they think that we're together. Or oh, my they God. Think that yeah. we're, we always get that. And I say, no, 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 no. I am the Janet to his Michael. Oh, hey. hey. Mike is like, you know, everyone knows Mike. Everybody sees Mike. And, you know, every he's like famous. And I'm like Janet, like the little sister trying to be like in control. Yeah. I want to be the one in control. Breaking out of breaking out of the shadow and just be like, yo, I'm making my own history. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> and we you do know? it, we do it big. And we support, and the beautiful thing is we support each other throughout the process. We support each other just like Mike and Jan supported each other. Love you, sis. Thank you for doing this so much. Holla for a dollar. Love you back. Love you back. Yes. See you yes. soon. We'll talk to you soon. I'll probably be back to you right after. Yeah. <laughs>